So here's the question. How do active people in the Des Moines area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Ryan Domeyer, and welcome to the Rev Health Radio Podcast. Welcome back to the Rev Health Radio Podcast. Dr. Ryan here today with a very special guest, Dr. Libby Trausch, co-owner and physical therapist at Breathe Physical Therapy and Wellness here in the Des Moines Metro and now over in Eastern Iowa. Um, I was exposed to Libby back when I went to PT school a long time ago at Des Moines University over a decade ago. She was one one of our instructors and is very passionate about the field of pelvic health, especially women's health, but men's pelvic health as well. So you'll, you'll hear Libby's passion come through her voice. So Libby, thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love talking pelvic health, especially in really high level situations. I think that gets missed quite a bit. It does. We just accept it as normal or we accept, oh yeah, that's just how my body works when there's a lot we can do, which I want to touch on in a little bit, but let's do a brief little introduction. Uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself, Libby, how you became a PT, how you found your passion in pelvic health. Tell your tell your quick story before we go into the nitty gritties. Sure. I um, have a general studies undergrad degree. I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up, even when I finished um, undergrad at UNI. I decided to go back to school. I'm going to make this a really short story. I decided to go back to school to get a health promotion degree because I had just started getting interested in health and wellness. And I took my first anatomy for human movement class and the professor at UNI was cute and funny. And it was his first, I mean, it was his first job with his PhD and he was Canadian. So he had a little bit of an accent. And one day he said, what are you doing with yourself, Lib? I was like, I don't know. I think I'll be a personal trainer. He's like, you should go to PT school. So I did a quick investigation, dropped all of my easy health promotion classes, signed up for chemistry, physics, and biology with a lab course that next semester. And here I am. I I like to say that I started PT not really, really knowing what a physical therapist did. I was not really sure what I was getting into. And then that streamlined into you becoming a physical therapist, getting through graduate school, and then eventually even teaching in a graduate school. How'd you get how'd you get there from becoming a physical therapist to teaching at Des Moines University when I first interacted with you? So on my second clinical rotation, I was um telling, I was rubbing my back. I had a lot of back pain and some in the physical therapist, I was talking about my back hurt and my hip hurt. And here's where it gets personal. She said, does sex hurt? And I was like, yes. And so she was a women's health physical therapist and she kind of really, and she introduced me to the, the concept of pelvic health. And, um, so there's, a, the, I'll try to make it less personal than it is, but I was really astounded. Like she introduced me to a whole set of muscles that we hadn't learned about in physical therapy school. And I, and I honestly was kind of mad. I was like, this is an important set of muscles and we haven't learned about this. We already learned muscles and these are not muscles that they taught me about. And, um, and then I went into, uh, an evaluation with her, with a, with a patient. And I loved it because I got to get really personal. Like I love pelvic health because I get to really know a lot of personal information about people. Um, and then as a, a new PT went to, um, um, like my first pelvic floor training class, because it's not taught in regular, it's not taught 
whole, like completely in physical therapy school. And then I was also really, really interested in this whole biopsychosocial model thing that they gave a lot of lip service to in physical therapy school, but they didn't really teach us like how to do that. And so I did a lot more continuing education on my own to get to this place where I feel really confident um, about teaching clients and other physical therapists about pelvic health, but really how it integrates with everything. Like I'm a, I, I'm a pelvic health therapist, but I'm an orthopedic therapist. Like I really do a lot of ankles and shoulders and I do a lot with the whole body and just how does the pelvic floor and leaking, for example, with double unders, how does that, how does that relate to hip weakness or ankle stiffness? You know, there's all of this and it all relates into one. Um, I mean, when I taught in PT school, I really didn't know it. I, they say the best way to learn it is to teach it. And that's really what happened. And then you taught at Des Moines University and then ended up opening, co-owning a a physical therapy clinic that specializes in women's health, breathe physical therapy and wellness. That's been a whole nother journey of really, yes, being coming an orthopedic physical therapist, but one that definitely specializes because with that intimacy comes, you, you need privacy, you need the right environment. A lot of our PT clinics, myself included, are open environment around other people. You can't really have that connection without a private setting. So, uh, Tell me, when did you guys open Breathe and what do you guys do in the Des Moines Metro as far as how do you, how are you guys different? So we're coming up on six years of being open in the Des Moines Metro and we grew really fast from the beginning. Um, our primary clients are either pregnant or have recently had babies. And one of the things that we say is once postpartum, always postpartum. Um, we do a lot with pregnancy related pain. We teach women, pregnant women, how to push so that we can try to minimize um, trauma during delivery. And then we help women recover their bodies after pregnancy. So we do a lot of with C-section scars, with um, incontinence, with pain with sex, constipation, all sorts of things, abdominal pain that's unexplained, endometriosis, a lot of things that people have searched and searched and searched and searched for help for and not found help for. Um, like, um, it's a lot. I like to say that we're like obstetric, gynecological, urological, family practice, physical therapists. Oh. Um, but we make, you know, a lot of people think that they, that discomfort during pregnancy is normal. And I would say that to some extent being uncomfortable in pregnancy is normal, but it doesn't have to hurt. It doesn't, you can, so we can make pregnancy a lot more comfortable and make delivery as easy as we can possibly make it. Um, and then, you know, pregnancy is a time when women just get weak and it's in even even when we stay really active we just generally get weaker when we're pregnant and if you add a couple more pregnancies onto that and then holding babies and breastfeeding throughout it's just a time where women can get a lot weaker and this is where i get really on my soapbox is you know i spent my 30s having babies and now i'm in my 40s and i'm looking at menopause coming in the next five years or so so once we have menopause, then estrogen is a super protective of our muscles and bones. So if we don't like really get stronger after we're done with our baby making years, we go into menopause at a deficit and it's hard to make that back up. So I'm really, really passionate about getting us much stronger after we're done having babies so that we can go into the rest of our lives 
being as active and vibrant and energetic as we possibly can be. I couldn't agree more. One of my philosophies is we don't get old, we get weak, we lose strength. So we want, if we want to extend longevity and live a active, healthy life later in life, we need to build strength. And yes, there's never, it's never too late to start, but you're exactly right. After having such a traumatic event, like having a baby is a huge traumatic event on the body. We lose so much strength, just like you and I see in the orthopedic world after a surgery, we lose so much strength. We have to build that up having a baby isn't that different from an event where the body just has to accumulate strength afterwards. Um, So many postural changes that happen with being pregnant. And then, you know, it's not just about being pregnant, right? When you're done being pregnant, then you hold a child and that child just continually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you continue to hold that child in all of those postural adjustments that we make in order to be able to, I mean, take care of small children is a big deal too. Uh, the reason I asked you to, to join the podcast today, because in the fitness community of which I'm very involved with, I see two different scenarios in men and especially more so women of one is the maximum weightlifter, whether it's the power lifter, whether it's the person that lifts to full maximum, they'll leak, they'll have urinary leaking. And it's almost a sense of pride where they know they're pushing their body to the maximum. We're getting away from that. I know a lot of people are getting over that stigma. So the, the second one that I see more commonly is the frustrated mom, likely postpartum, that leaks, whether they jump, whether they do box jumps, double unders, some lifting. It's it's a sign of frustration because I see them run to the bathroom right before the conditioning piece starts because I know they're trying to empty their bladder, which you may talk about because I remember you teaching us that, how that might not actually be a good thing. It might be harming more than helping to go to the bathroom when you don't actually have to go. But that athlete who is a female who just kind of crosses their fingers and hope they won't leak next time. That's really what I want to dive into. And I know you're have much more expertise than I do in that field of what can they do? Because I know they're frustrated, they're embarrassed, it's annoying. What can that athlete do? What can that mom do to help some of their problems? You and I would both agree they need probably likely a pelvic floor examination by someone that's not myself, but what can you offer them? What can they do to help their symptoms of what they deal with? So the very first thing that doesn't have anything to do with strength or anything is number one, making sure we're not constipated. So not having good regular bowel movements that if our intestines are full that they kind of sit right on top of our bladder. So one of the things earlier you were asking, you know, sometimes you leak, sometimes you don't. The first thing I think about is making sure that and and we should have really good bowel movements every day. Um, And sometimes you can still get backed up even with having a good bowel movement every day. So that's number one is just to not have any additional pressure on our bladder. Number two, the time of day when we work out can have something to do with it. Like drinking coffee can absolutely, if we're going to drink coffee and then go work out, that can absolutely weaken the sphincter around the urethra. And so when we talk about like, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Those are the first two things I think about are what we've drank before lifting and are going to work out and constipation. Um, now the, let's see, my backup. So the, the, when we talk about leaking, we're not talking necessarily about muscle strength all the time. We're talking about coordination and we're talking about, um, pressure management. So I wish that listeners could see me do this 
presentation because it's some it's a little bit challenging to see. But if we think about our abdomens, we think about the diaphragms on top like an umbrella and the pelvic floor is on the bottom like a bowl and then the abdominal muscles surround the whole thing. And so we've got this canister and it's a highly pressurized system. Like diaphragms on the top, pelvic floors on the bottom, and it's a highly pressurized system like a pop can. You put a pop can in the freezer, you can imagine how that pop can bulges wherever it's weakest. Now, after we've had babies, our pop can just isn't as solid all the way around as it used to be. And to some extent, that doesn't matter how strong our muscles are at all. Some of our connective tissue just gets stretched by having a baby, and there's nothing that we can do to change that connective tissue that's been stretched by being pregnant. But what we can do is make sure that that pressure is regulated symmetrically. So you can imagine, let's let's now take this pop can analogy and think about it like a balloon. If you squeeze the top of a balloon, the bottom of the balloon bulges out, right? So squeezing the top of the balloon can be like holding your breath. Hold your breath, tighten your abs, and then the pressure has to go somewhere. So it might go down, causing leaking you know, that pressure can go out forward and that can make people still look pregnant when they are definitely not pregnant. That pressure can even go up if it's not managed well and can cause like heartburn or hiatal hernias, things like that. You know, when we're talking about pressure management and I just mentioned hiatal hernias, that can also contribute to just regular hernias. So it's really kind of, a, it's more of a pressure management and a coordination issue than a, um, necessarily a strength issue. So if we go back to thinking about that piss, that um, pop can, we wanna think about it, um, now think about the pop can like a piston. So a piston needs to move up and down and the whole piston moves up and down at the same rate. The top and the bottom and the middle of the piston all move up and down at the same rate. So we wanna imagine breathing as the apparatus for moving that piston. So when you breathe in, the top of the piston moves down, but we need the pelvic floor to drop just a little, the abdomen to open just a little. And then when we exhale, the diaphragm moves up, the piston moves up, and then we have to keggle when we exhale. So what I find is that a lot of athletes, most athletes have fairly strong pelvic floor muscles. We're not worried necessarily about the strength all the time, unless the birth was extra traumatic and there's like some, some disruption to the pelvic floor muscles. It's more about the difficulty with exhaling and keggling at the same time. Coordination. That's what Coordination they struggle with. Of it. So you can imagine exhaling. It's like opening the pop top. So we're letting that highly, we're letting pressure out of our, of our mouths by exhaling instead of holding that pressure inside our abdomen and squirting it out the bottom as a form of pee. That's, so that's the very basic, what we start with is can you breathe in, let the pelvic floor open just a little and then breathe out and keggle. That's the basic starting point. That makes perfect sense. And it's counterintuitive to, especially in the fitness world where I'm in, where so much is preached about spinal stability, core bracing and breathing of even with heavier loads of building strength of just taking a huge deep breath and holding that in from a spinal bracing standpoint, which is great for spinal bracing, but may have negative effects from pressure management standpoint of when you hold in a huge deep breath, if your pelvic floor isn't coordinated and can't hold that up, you may leak during that time. Is that so when you're, yeah. So when you're, so this, this whole, this kind of, uh, we have to adjust that exhale and kegel when we're lifting a heavy load. So you still have to, you have to brace your spine with, with pressure to lift a heavy load. Like you, you can't use your deep muscles 
enough to stabilize your spine with a super, super heavy load. But we have to try to, we breathe in and then still kegel. So it kind of goes the opposite direction when you're lifting a very heavy load. Now, the other deal is that I find a lot of women are not able to access their glutes very well, which then creates a higher need for pressure stability when the glutes aren't stabilizing and that can lead to leaking also. That is definitely what I see in my practice as well. There's so many females that are so quad dominant and they just, and I don't want to call them weak because they're, they're strong, but it's a coordination issue. They can't access their hamstring and glute strength as well when they first start working with me. And that's really what I teach them is the coordination of how to actually use their really strong glutes and actually get them to fire from a coordination standpoint. It's no different with the pelvic floor. It sounds like of you have a strong pelvic floor. That's a common myth. I think that I wanted to touch on a little later of it's just kegels forever and that fixes everything. It sounds like it's more of a coordination issue with pressure management is what you see with a lot of females that struggle. Is that, is that accurate Libby? Yeah. And you know, not everybody has strong pelvic floors. That's where, that's where that caveat of you want to double check with ideally, if you're leaking, you check with a, a women's health physical therapist, ideally at breathe. Um, because not everybody has just a coordination issues. Some people think that they're, so a kegel is a pelvic floor muscle contraction. It's a squeeze around the urethra, the vagina and the anus, or if you don't have a vagina, the, um, let me go back to just being a female, a urethra, vagina and an anus and a lift up and into the body. And that should be coordinated with an exhale and the abdomen sucking into the spine. Um, so that's what a a pelvic floor muscle contraction is it's yes. Leaking is so much more associated with pressure management and breathing than it usually is about you. You do have to have a baseline strength of the pelvic floor, but it's more about pressure management. And again, the coordination with the glutes. So a lot of postpartum women, I just, I like to, I joke that glutes go on vacation. I like, imagine your glutes are on a beach in San Diego and we've got to be able to reaccess those because glutes are really, really important for not leaking. They really, really, the glute muscles attach on the backside of the pelvis, um, especially on the backside of the sacrum. And then the pelvic floor muscles attach on the front side of the sacrum. And so the glutes provide a really strong counterbalance to the pelvic floor. The other thing that we didn't touch on is that for that coordination, everything has to be lined up really well. So if we're imagining going back to that pop can and piston, you need the top of the pop can to be lined up directly on the bottom of the pop can. So a lot of times in pregnancy, we lean back with our upper bodies because we've lifted our rib cage to make room for the baby, to make room for the diaphragm to open. And so we've got this lifted upper body that we think is good posture, but it, it's actually like thoracic spine extension. So a big thing that we do is teach women to bring their rib cages back forward on top of their pelvis so that that pressure management system can be lined up really well. So that can very much help access the glutes, but that also protects the spine and then make sure that the pressure is symmetrically distributed rather than only down, which would make us be our pants. I want to go back even to the second thing and I'll recap 
of the top four things you mentioned of constipated time of day, pressure management and coordination. The second one of time of day, the one I did not think about, because I know it's so act, it's so prevalent in the fitness community, which is pre-workouts that are just loaded with caffeine. If you're having that right before you work out, you're almost setting yourself up to fail. If you're ingesting 200 milligrams of caffeine right before if You're leaking not, is an issue for if sure. If leaking is an issue, that's something you should cut out for sure, just to see if that helps with that randomness of something that happens. I never thought of that until you mentioned it, but it makes so much sense. Uh-huh. Um, and then back to the position of rib cage down is a cue I use so much. Uh, you mentioned you were in physical therapy school and you were almost mad that you didn't learn about the pelvic floor like you wanted to when you had to go through advanced education. Um, I was the same. I was at uh my graduate school studies, learning that uh, flexion is bad, extension is good for lumbar spine management. As I was watching 10 minute videos of, of my mentor, Kelly Starrett online, talking about how athletes overextend and they need to have their rib cages down for proper alignment. And I'm like, how is no one telling me about this in physical therapy? I was almost mad that I did not learn that. It was basically, and I understand there's a lot to learn in physical therapy school, but I related when you said you were mad about what you were learning or you didn't learn enough. I understand the the point is I really like a, like a lot of people learn that they need to tuck their butts more instead of bringing their rib cages down tucking your butt just further inhibits the glutes right so we got to like we tell people stick their butts out but bring your ribs down and then that lines up the pelvic floor better so that we don't leak now that also leads me into this concept of if we bring our ribs down so that our our piston is lined up our pop can is lined up really well. We also need to shift our weight out of our heels and a little bit more into the balls of our feet. So with double unders, we wanna make sure that we're not jumping with our chest really lifted, that we bring our chest down and lean forward more so that the balls of our feet can absorb the um, impact really, really well. So if we're absorbing all that impact with our chest up and leaning back, then that pressure management system isn't lined up as well. And the final thing I would say about that is your system has been stressed by delivering a baby. And in order to get back into jumping rope or jumping jacks or just jumping in general, you got to start low. If you just get right back into, a, I don't know how many double unders you do at once. And, but if you get back into doing 50 and really your system can only handle three before you leak, you're never going to get to 50 again. It takes a lot of humility to say, okay, I can do three before I leak. Now I'm going to do something else. And then I'm going to do another three. And then eventually gradually building up. And the humility is worth it for the long run of the ability to eventually do as many double unders as you want, but you have to build up slowly to give your tissue time to get used to that. Um, Our brains are really bad at doing that. Just like our runners, it's either run 10 miles or run zero miles. And there's nothing in between of that. uh, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, That's a really good framework for anyone listening. Um, I think you would agree that if you are, if you do have issues with leaking, especially during any type of your workouts, having a pelvic pelvic health exam would be beneficial to you, which I know you guys, which you guys offer, but I wanted to recap the top four things you mentioned of if you have any issues with leaking during exercise, the top four things to keep an eye on is constipation, not being constipated, that I almost see that as a pressure management system of if your intestines are full, it's putting excess pressure on and it's hard for your system to keep up. Second, the time of day, whether you just had some coffee, whether you just 
uh, depending on when it is, if it's randomly happening, that might be affecting your system from a ability to control standpoint. The third, and I think most biggest is the pressure management. You talked a long time about that good pop can analogy of it's all about managing pressures. It's having your piston in good alignment, having your spine controlled and in a neutral position. So you're not putting undue pressure on your spine. Uh, and then the fourth one is the coordination, which of course is the hardest. That's the one coordination between your glutes, your pelvic floor, your pelvic floor, and the rest of your abdominal stabilizers, your hip flexors, just getting that coordinated is really, really difficult. And a lot of people need help with that. Um, I am no different of teaching people to actually engage their glutes and core muscles as well. Is that a good summary and recap of top four things that uh, people can think about if they're having issues with leaking during exercise. Yeah. And I wanted to add one more thing as we were talking about timing, um, right about at the end of the menstrual cycle and at the beginning of the menstrual cycle. So days like 27, 28, one, two, and three are really much more likely to be leaking. Also, um, there's, you know, there are, this is one of those places where we could like talk about adding estrogen to the urethra, but it could also be the time that you just don't do double unders, right? Because it's just a time when our system, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for honoring our menstrual cycles and like working out and even, even like doing our work, mental work, according to when we feel best in, in our menstrual cycles. So it could be just a time that you don't do double unders for just those few days around the beginning of the cycle when, when our hormones um, make leaking more likely. I totally agree. Not something I'm super familiar with. That's why I refer to people like you for, yeah. for information like that. Uh, should anyone listening that I pass this along to want to work with you or another one of your providers at breathe, what's the best way to get in contact with you or to get in contact with one of your breathe clinics, Libby? Um, so we have 11 physical therapists who are all very well trained in all this stuff that we just talked about. Our website is breatheptw.com, B-R-E-A-T-H-E-P-T-W.com. Like I said, we have 11 physical therapists and we're all experts in this. And the good news is you don't necessarily have to have an internal assessment of your pelvic floor muscles. We're pretty good at checking things out from the outside and making and having a good idea about what someone needs to do. Um, we get a lot more, we get a lot of information from doing internal assessments, but it's not necessary. So don't let that piece of the puzzle keep you from, from getting an assessment. That is perfect. I will put anything, I will, when I'm, this episode comes out, all that information will be in the show notes of uh, information about Libby and information about Breathe because you guys do great things in helping so many people with issues that a lot of people don't even know they can get help with. They just think it's normal and you're doing such a good job of helping people get back to a normal life and not having to deal with symptoms that they just thought they had to live with. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really love scream it from the rooftops, right? That is exactly right. To everyone listening, I appreciate you following along with the Rev Health Radio podcast. Please subscribe. I'll have episodes with health and wellness providers just like Dr. Libby so we can help educate and make people more active, healthy, and living their best life. So to everyone listening, I'll catch you next time. Hey, real quick before you go, thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to share it with others, please take a screenshot and share it to your story on Facebook or Instagram, and make sure to tag Rev Health and Wellness. To stay up to date on all of our latest episodes, be sure to follow Rev Health and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram.